I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you will hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. You are listening to Claret and Blue, an Aston Villa podcast brought to you by Birmingham Live. Hello, welcome back to the Claret and Blue podcast. My name is Dan Rowan, so I'm joined this afternoon by John Townley for the post-presser preview show, whatever we call these these days. That's actually a good point before we get started. We, we've been calling these the match preview for the last year or so. It's not really a preview in the sense that we, we don't really look at the opposition, we don't really go through kind of a, a tactical look at, at what um, the opposition manager said or the key man. We did do that to a certain stage, but we got comments saying, this is boring, we want to hear about Villa, we don't want to hear about the opposition. So from next season, we're probably going to rename this show to something else. So if you've got a suggestion in the comments of what we can re- rename it, because we go to pressers or you and you and Ash go to pressers and that was that's kind of the USP of this show that you've been to speak to and I am yesterday or today, if the presser was today. Yeah. Um, not many other podcasts have that. So we want to rename this like, I think the first draft where I was like back from Bodymore, like reporting back from Bodymore, just to get That's some alliteration cool. in there. It took me like um, one, 10 seconds to think of, but we haven't thought of anything. <laughs> so. Yeah. so if anyone's got a suggestion for what this could be called instead of a match preview, because it isn't really that, uh, suggestions would be welcome. John, how are you? Uh, yeah, good, thanks, mate. Um, Friday already, isn't it? The week's going mm-hmm. so quick. Probably more so because Villa are winning all the time. Yeah. <laughs> we play Saturday, then Tuesday, don't we? So quick turnaround this time next week. If we, then it's United, isn't it, on the Sunday? No, so Sunday. This time in, well, 10 days, should we say. I think we'll probably have a much clearer picture of where Villa are. Um, and mm-hmm. that will completely affect my mood going forward. So <laughs> yeah, I'm doing well. Yeah, we said on the last post-match show, I think that the run where we had Leicester, Chelsea, Forest, we picked up nine points in a week. We've now got that to a, a lesser extent again coming up now with, uh, like you said, Saturday, Tuesday, Sunday. If you can get six, seven points from those, you really are kind of mounting the, the charge for Europe. As I said, kind of a USP for the for the show to an extent is that we do go to presses we have spoken to in Iamory in person. You were the, our representative there yesterday. Um, we'll get into it then straight away with the the presser segment. First of all, I think you told me yesterday that it was the second time you've been to an Iamory because obviously Ash goes every week and you almost fill in for Ash when he's unavailable. I think he's on a stag do this weekend, so enjoy that, Ash. Um, you said the last time you spoke to Emery was not long after he joined, so even you can see a kind of sense of development from him as a person, his demeanour, his English is better. And so just kind of describe to us the, the overall vibe from, from Bodymore. Yeah, so I first spoke to Emery and it would have been November. I can't remember what game it was before. I would have thought Brighton maybe because it wouldn't, wasn't after the, um, the World Cup break, so probably mm-hmm. Brighton. That would have been his second game, so his almost first month back in England. Um, 
yeah, I suppose the main difference that I sort of felt was that he was much more sort of confident in what he was saying. He mm. he spoke a lot more because, you know, you, you kind of get the idea that he's one of those managers that if he could, you know, or even in Spanish, he'd probably speak for for hours talking about tactics and he just loves the game in that way. So, mm. yeah, I, I spoke to the West Brom manager, Carlos Corbran as well, and he's very similar to that uh, a couple of weeks ago. So they don't, you know, it's really good to sort of get an insight off and, so if I remember saying to Ash, you're going to learn a lot just by going to press conferences and learning what they think of the game and how they view it and their individual sort of quirks um, towards it. But yeah, he's much more sort of fluid in terms of what he says and he can get his ideas across much better, which is really good for him and for us and fans in the, in the media as we can portray what he's saying better. Um, and his idea has been the main thing and he has a sort of a supervisor next to him as well who um is spanish and he'll help if there's any questions that are hmm. lost in translation or whatever it may be but he's definitely much more um confident in what he's saying now which is really good that, that must help i suppose around the training ground in general when he speaks to players hmm. um and it's only been like four months so he's, he's sort of back on back in the swings back in the swing of things i suppose you could probably say um which is great yeah, and as much as you kind of mentioned the words there, confident and fluid and be able to get his ideas across better. Some of the quotes that I read from, from you yesterday and, and through this morning so far, fired up is how I'd probably describe some of them. Like, we aren't going to stop. We're going to keep pushing the challenges to keep improving. It's like us as Villa fans almost go and look at the last couple of months and go, what a what a enjoyable experience it is at the moment to be a Villa fan. You keep winning. Ollie Watkins keeps scoring goals. There's a, a lovely feel around the club. You know, Emery almost sits there in his presses and goes, yeah, but that's not good enough. We keep going, we keep pushing. It's like, yes, that's a proper manager. Come on, let's go. Let's let's keep pushing. Yeah, he was asked in the sort of broadcast section, there's two sections, broadcast and written. The written is always like embargo till later. But in the broadcast, someone asked him about um, sort of what can be achieved after you've beaten Newcastle. You know, you're on a really good run. Newcastle are top four pretty much this season, aren't they? Um, so what can be achieved? And he said, well, I don't really want to look at Newcastle, you know, again, in terms of look, before and think, oh, we've won seven out of eight or whatever it is nine, no, eight and beaten now. Um, he wants to look forward and he said, all I want to do is analyse and improve. So, yeah, it's um, it's crazy how he can look at games. Like we beat Chelsea and Leicester our last two games and he said he was upset <laughs> by the performances. And <laughs> like, wow. To, you know, to, I, I get what he's saying, but obviously the results are, I suppose, the main thing but for him performances are so um so important because in our last eight although we have picked up seven wins you, you do tend to agree that there's parts in those games where we might have sort of rode our luck ever so slightly um like Mudrick had yeah, a, great a little bit yeah and like Everton had a few off the line the Leicester game obviously Troy comes off the bench and scores a worldie in the last minute so in another world we might have only won five or six out of eight which would have still been a brilliant points return but Emery's kind of just putting a lid on things and saying We've been good, but we can be so much better and much more consistent. But to be fair, he was saying that Newcastle game was, you know, fantastic. He couldn't really fault it. Um, yeah. But he wanted to also say that for as good as we were, we need to continue doing that. It's not it's a well and good doing it once, but we now to need, now need to do it um, away from home as well. Because to say he wasn't happy with the last two away games, which is obviously Chelsea and Leicester winning those games, but the performances for him weren't there or mm. as much as could have been and to be fair that showed against Newcastle that's how good we can be but he wants that for seven games of you know that are left he wants that again and, and more so yeah, yeah it's uh, some mentality 
Yeah, you almost get that, the Bielsa vibe from him that you're going to go to a presser one week and he's going to pull out a PowerPoint presentation and say, right, this is what we're doing. I'm going to walk you through everything. Like, I'm so obsessed with football and I'm just, I kind of love it so much. I want to share that with you and I now feel confident to be able to, to get my ideas across. You never know what you might turn up to at a presser these days. He could really go in depth on, on something like you said and speak for hours and hours and you kind of go, this is an education. Yeah, and it's good say being in that environment is really good because you hear him on... Um videos and interviews on the radio or whatever and and you think oh well you know it's nice for him to say that but when once you're there in the moment it, he really does come across as someone who's quite motivational as well so mm. a lot of players that he works with i said it for a while but <clears throat> it's quite something to get a buy-in from players when when you're being asked to sit in cinema rooms or something for two hours analyzing performances when you just want to be playing on the, on the pitch and then you're doing tactical work and it's probably not the most enjoyable um thing to do as a footballer and they'd probably say that they want to be doing something else um on the pitch but if it's getting results then great yeah. but then it's how do you sustain that and i think with emery you do get the sense that he's very um to say motivational leon bailey said he was the funniest coach he's worked with as well which i haven't seen that side yet myself um <laughs> but that's another say another quirk to his uh to his personality that us as fans might not see but you can tell that he's very um personable with the players he was a player himself of course so he knows what it's like we see him as a coach that's you know 15 16 years now as a coach i think you know emery's been you almost feel like he'd be one of those like almost like a graham potter sort of learned his trade from from the very start but he's he's lived and lived in brief football playing it and now coaching um and yeah he's he has that side to him as well in terms of my interactions with him there's a couple of comments here from Andy and Ian. Andy says, I love how, even he, how he says, even against Newcastle, that we need to be better. There's absolutely no chance of the season petering out. He'll have them performing until the very last match, even if there's nothing riding on it. And Ian says, I'm not getting carried away, but let's give you an eye contract for life. Which, yeah, that, that is the vibe at the moment, is it amongst fans? Like, the guy can do no wrong and long might continue. Um, we will go on to injury update now, our kind of secondary segment of whatever this video is, which is a match preview. And we can probably scout over this pretty simply by saying that there's nothing fresh to be worried about. And the players that have been out so far are still out. Kamara, Cash, Coutinho, Bailey, no change. Uh, no, highly unlikely. I mean, Cash and uh, Kamara are obviously the two closest to, re to return. Um, there was a training session today, so... I know they've been ruled out, but Emery did say that we have one more training session left and it's unlikely that they're going to be fit enough to play, basically. But you never know. Maybe one of them can make a miraculous recovery um, or train today, perhaps. I literally have no idea. Um, but he did mention that they had a training session today, so it's very unlikely that any of them will be uh, going to Brentford. But maybe, I don't know, let's say we've got three games, haven't we, in the space of 10 days? So whether they can come back for one of those, maybe United, I'm, I'm, I don't know. It could be looking after that, which is a shame because that's nearly half of the games, isn't it? Yeah, you know, there's seven left. Three in 10 days. Um, so, yeah. yeah. Bailey, I'm not sure how long Bailey's out for, to be fair. That hasn't been mentioned yet. So it must be a quiet one. It was a hamstring injury, wasn't it? Yeah, but then there was a picture of him in training, wasn't there? And people were going, oh, maybe it wasn't as bad as first fear, but he's still out, so you'd assume. Yeah, yeah. and with a hamstring injury, I don't think you can rush players back. So that's why I'm mm. saying I think Kamara and um, Cash are probably closer to returning just because it's a hamstring injury and you could probably do with resting that for two weeks. You know, although you are training, it's it's a different thing doing it in, uh, in a Premier League game. So, yeah, we'll see. I suppose the wider conversation here is that it's almost that there's four players there that could all be considered 
first names on the team sheet, you know, when they're when they're firing on form and that's almost an exciting thing that if, if Emery can get Coutinho ticking and Bailey ticking and Cash can do a do a job and Kamara is obviously one of the one of the signings of the season for us despite him missing a few games. That's that's positive that we're doing so well without them, but also looking ahead to the future that there's there's kind of reinforcements to come and help this side when we have got three games in a week or so. Yeah, and again, it speaks volumes of just what Jobby's done because our squad is mm. way for thin, isn't it? Really, when you look at the bench, yeah. you really are struggling for options. And what do you turn to? So, yeah, yeah, you look at Newcastle going, "Oh, we'll bring on Wilson and Armour." And you look at Villongo, Traore, maybe after that, yeah. like who else? Yeah, yeah, exactly. So again, with um, so I, I don't want to say we've been lucky with injuries at all because we've had those players out. But I suppose if there was any sort of strength and depth that we do have, it's in the areas of where Coutinho is playing. And where Kamara's yeah. playing, we do have Dendonka and we do have uh, Chambers who can fill in there, John McGinnon can come back as well. So there's options, but we are <laughs> very thin now. And I think looking towards the next season, that's definitely something that we'll address in the summer. Whether we're in European football or not, I think we'll be looking to buy quite a few players to, just to fill out the bench if needed. Yeah. Obviously, it's, well, how do you do that? Do you buy players to compete or do you buy players for the first you know, 11 and then they can drop back onto the bench, whatever it is. Um, but yeah, you need strength and depth. And at the moment, we're kind of we're coming into the last seven games and then it all returned. Yeah, there was a point where we did have a, a, um, a clean bill of health, if I'm not mistaken, a couple of weeks ago. Like Carlos mm. just came back, Cash just came back and was playing well. All of a sudden, now we've got three or four out again. Um, but we should be able to manage. I don't think it'll be a massive problem in the last seven games, as long as it's not a, an Ollie Watkins, a Torrin Mings. Yeah. Um, we don't need to pick up any more injuries. I think that's that's the point. Yeah. Let's move on to predicted 11 then. Again, I mean, this video is probably going to kind of fly by us pretty quickly because it's because Villa are doing so well at the moment. Why would you change the side that was the play against Newcastle, arguably the best performance of the season, best performance under Unai Emery, a 3-0 win at home against a high-flying side? Yeah. So I said, yes, why do you change that? And secondly, because there's no you know, fit, fit players coming back into the... If Kamara was fit this week, you say, oh, maybe there's a change to be made there. Because none of those injured players have returned, what changes could you make to the eleven? Do, do you agree that you don't change a winning side or would you would you switch things up for an away game? I think especially for an away game like Brentford, you don't change it because they're going to be as um, tricky to play against as what Newcastle would be. And I know we made light work in Newcastle, but Brentford have lost twice at home, I think. Um, for, for, yeah, for the record it feels, feels a little bit like they lose all the time but they also don't do you know what I mean like, it feels like you see you see like Brentford have lost again you, oh, they're falling down the table also keep winning yeah they go under the radar and that Newcastle game was a bit of a the, the other week when they lost was it 3-1 at home to Newcastle I think mm. that was almost a bit um, so how do you say or was that a context in a way because they I think they were winning or they they can see sorry Brentford had a penalty, missed the penalty, didn't they? Ivan Tony, and then he scores a penalty. There should have been maybe 2 0 up at half time, and that might, might have been the game. But Newcastle come back at the end and score three goals in, in a quick turnaround. So, and they played very well to Brentford. So that was a misleading scoreline. So, us going to them, us going to Brentford, sorry, without, it's, it's a very difficult game. I, I don't know what the odds are in Villa winning, but I don't think they'll be very short. Um, yeah, again. Yeah, we- Recent form's not great though. Just lost to Wolves, no, lost to Newcastle, no. lost to Man United, drew, drew with Brighton three all, drew with Leicester one all. Everton beat them. So, you know, there was a stage in the season where you probably looked at Aston Villa, uh, Brentford at Brentford and thought that's a tricky tie. 
and it still is, but it's, it's, um, yeah. at the moment you think they're not on great form, Villa are absolutely flying. Not that you can keep saying, well, Villa are just going to win, because it's as simple as that, because football isn't. But you'd still make Villa the favourites, I think. I mean, if you had to pick a winner, yeah, you'd say Villa, because as you mentioned, the form they haven't won in five, but I still think going to the Drew Tech Community Stadium, although although it's got that name, it is a tricky place to go. Um, and Emery mm-hmm. said it was the hardest away game we'll have until the end of the season, and we go to Anfield and we go to Old Trafford. So... But if Emery says it, I'll agree with it. <laughs> yeah, it will be a very difficult game. Um, we're not in that period of the season now where we can say, oh, we'll take a point. You kind of need to be winning these games to get Europe mm-hmm. because it's going to be so... Well, it is congested, congested now, but Liverpool are coming up with good games. Brighton have got a couple of games on us as well, although I think they are against Man City and... Um, it's one of the top boys, isn't it? Yeah, it's it is. the Arsenal. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Tough, yeah, I think it might be. Yeah, in fact, I think it is. So they do have some tough games, Brighton, but they're a great team. I always look at Spurs and think if we're going to get into the top seven, I think Spurs might have to come out of the top seven. I know they're above us now, but their games are tricky. They've got Man United, Liverpool and... Ooh, Man United, Liverpool. Oh, no, sorry, I'm looking at the wrong fixtures. I'm looking at it, it, Brighton, I've got Arsenal at some point. I've got, I'm looking at Brighton's fixtures here and they've got Man United, Arsenal. Uh, they've obviously got the FA Cup semi-final as well, which, you know, you wonder how, how that plays into it. So there are, there are, as much as, you know, those other teams above us, they've got games in hand. Other sides have got, I don't want to use the word distractions because I don't really like that because an FA Cup semi-final shouldn't be a distraction for Brighton because that's, that's a big achievement to, to get to that stage. But they've got that. Man United have got have been playing in the Europa League. They lost last night, wasn't it? I think um, they've got the FA Cup final uh, semi final as well. They want to get to the final and win another trophy. Liverpool have got games in hand, so you kind of think well, Villa have got like a primary focus of these seven games and nothing else. And after this week or this, this upcoming week, they're all a week apart. The games, I think, until the end of the season. So you'd like to think that Villa have kind of got this this kind of cup final mentality to go right. It's one game at a time for us, and we'll be focused. Other sides have got injuries and, and FA Cup and European um, things to deal with. So you kind of feel like Villa have got the upper hand in some yeah, aspects, yeah. but uh, you have got sides above us, and you also want to be the side that have got points on the board, and they have at the moment. But you, you do look at somebody like Spurs, like you say, in free fall to a, to a lesser extent, and think, well, if Villa go there and beat Spurs, then there's every chance that we do leapfrog them up into the Europa League positions. Yeah, it's Spurs have Newcastle away this weekend, which is the game I was thinking of. And then they have Man United, Liverpool away, then Tottenham, uh, then Palace, sorry, which will be tough. Then they come to us, then they play mm. Brentford. And then they've got Leeds away and that'll be Leeds' last uh, home game of the season. And presumably they're going to have to win that to stay up. Um, and then last game they're at West Ham. But that's a tough run of games and we're only three points behind. Plus we play them. So if we can chip away at our points and they 
as we probably project, not get many. Um, mm. There's every chance they fall out of the top seven. Uh, and I do think there's a, some of those teams, like if you offered the chance to Liverpool or Tottenham or even... Um, now, Brian would take conference, but Liverpool and Tottenham particularly, I, I wonder if they'd step off the gas because do they want conference league football? Obviously, we do. And other clubs like you know, Brighton or whoever do, but I, all their fans will be they're all over social media saying, going, oh, no, I'd rather not have seventh than... Um, I'd rather finish out, sorry, than, than finish the conference league because for those clubs, I don't know what is in it for them in a way. Again, for us, we know what the benefits are and for Brighton and, and whoever else, but for those clubs, they yeah. are but oh. sort of snobbery, I suppose, because they are supposed to be in the Champions League, aren't they? So they yeah, don't. But if you finish, if you're Spurs and finish eighth, if you get into the Europa Conference League in seventh and think, oh, well, this is a waste of time, we don't want it, we'll win yeah. it then. Winning and would get into the Europa League and the next season try and get back into the top four if that's what you think you deserve. So be involved in these conversations at a big six, top six club anyway, as far as I'm concerned. I mean, it's a debate we should have probably on a podcast, Dan, but I don't think, as Emery said a couple of weeks ago, the, the big six doesn't exist for me anymore. It's a revenue stream in terms of the, the big six that make the most money, mm. but not using it right. Look where Chelsea are, look where Spurs might be at the end of the season outside the top seven. Newcastle will be in the top four probably this season and forevermore they'll be competing because of their owners. Um, Brighton, their owners for different ways and uh, obviously us, we're there hopefully for the long run mm -hmm. too. So that top six is not a top six as you know it and it, yeah, it was yeah. almost a top, it was a top five plus Tottenham anyway, wasn't it really? Um, you almost think there's, there's a Man City and then there's eight others who, can, who could finish between second and, and eighth and then there's the rest of the dross that make up the numbers. It, possibly so I think that's probably about right yeah I mean Arsenal have been very good this year but that shows yeah, you but yeah, you know, like, what you'd you say that you've got Man City and Arsenal you've got Man City or um, Liverpool or whoever but you can kind of you know, mix and match yeah yeah, um, yeah Newcastle Spurs Chelsea Man United could kind of pop in and out wherever season by season there's kind of no consistency Man City are always at the top no matter what because they're just a, a ruthless machine the rest of them kind of compete for the spots and then you've got the likes of us Brighton, Newcastle, um, Brentford to a certain extent this season trying to break up into that top six that six mark. So, yeah, I'd say you've got a top one or two, a middle seven or eight, and then the rest that are just nothingness or relegation fodder. But we want to. But what we want to do and what we want to become is the team that cements themselves in those positions mm. yeah. and stays there. That that's the key thing and stays there because we've seen Wolves when they came up. That a couple of consecutive seventh place finishes, I think, which mm. is obviously really good for them. West Ham have done it recently as well, and obviously Leicester did it under Rogers, finishing yeah. in those like top six, top seven positions. We don't want to just be a team that gets there and then starts to have a few poor seasons and finishes where we've been finishing in the last few years. We want to get there and stay there, mm. and that's the key. So for clubs like Brighton, no disrespect for Brighton and uh, like Atalks, the way that they're the best run club in the country, probably. The way that they'll do it, I presume, will be have one or two good seasons as they are, but they're not going to be getting European football every year. Surely not, because the, the, because of the turnover of players, because of turnover of managers, maybe because they're always that club. If that makes sense, you know how much money they can they pay players compared to what you know Matoma. I don't know how much he's on Casado. I don't know how much he was on before he signed his new deal, which mm. probably has a release clause in it. So they, I do think they have a ceiling, but they're, they're but, poachable, aren't they, Brighton? Because they because they over, overperform so much in terms of management and players that it's a bit like Villa under O'Neill. If you don't kind of reach the expectations that the players want to get into the top are. six or top four, 
the bigger clubs will come to Brighton and say, right, I'm having this, this and this, and then ultimately Brighton fall away at some point. Yeah, and I don't think, as you mentioned, their expectations is probably the key thing. They don't need to be the club that finishes in the top six every year. They just don't. For them to be in the Premier League is great. And then for what they're doing is, is so exceptional. But we want to be the club that stays there and competes regular year after year after year. And mm. under Swiris and Edens, there's no sort of sign of that stopping, if that makes sense. Like the West Ham owners, for example, in relegation fights for a while in terms of the club. And then... Then they get Europe and then it's like, oh, it's great. But what's the actual long term? Is it sustainable? Probably not. Same as Leicester, same as um, same as Wolves. So we want to be, to say, self, self-sustainable, self be there for a while um, and continue to do it year after year. And that's that's the plan. Uh, I'm not too sure how we've got onto this, but <laughs> but it's nice to chat about, isn't it? So. Yeah, it's good to be in these conversations at this point in the season. The fact that we're even in a, a European conversation in on the 21st of April, is a nice sign of how things have changed over the last few months. So let's enjoy it whilst we can. We're going to move on to our away from match day segment, the little part of the show where we talk about something else that isn't Aston Villa versus Brighton related, or Bright, uh, Brighton, Brentford or Aston Villa related, I should say. It's just a couple of quick plugs for a couple of podcasts we've done over the last couple of weeks that people might not have seen. So yesterday I did a piece about this behind me, the Aston Villa mishmash um, print, which is available to buy now. I'll put a link in the description below. We filmed a podcast yesterday with the creator of it, a little interview with him and the design process. The fact that it took a thousand hours to make, so much hard work has gone into it, really creative. There's some nice kind of personal touches in there for fans and one for myself as well. So the podcast uh, that we filmed yesterday is on the channel, available to watch. So go back and watch that. It's definitely worth 20 minutes or so of your time. Yep. The second one I wanted to mention very quickly is the Alan Hutton show that we did two or three weeks ago now I think because at the beginning of April and there's another episode coming up possibly this weekend a kind of quick fire questions with Alan Hutton it's only five minutes or so long um, but that's coming up as well I have got a clip from the Hutton podcast that I'm going to insert here now for YouTube I'll edit this in nicely if you remember that stage where Paul Lambert he went away to Germany and he met who was it he met? did he go for a meeting with Pep he met Pep didn't right? he at Munich and he oh, came back with I think that was the beginning of the end for me like, as, as, as I remember it we would pass teams to death and not go over halfway line like, do you remember that we never had a shot and goal yeah. so Ben Teke was the main man like the moves he got he deserved it unfortunately it didn't quite work out for him but he was an absolute monster like on his day, like I was marking him at training and that, and you just know he's just big, aggressive, arms everywhere, good sh- like shot, head and ability. He was brilliant. Did we play to strengths? Towards the end, absolutely not. Remember they had the posters in the whole end with um, the, the, the arrows? <laughs> <laughs> or no. So I was like, it's, it, this isn't working. And he, he continued to kind of go along with it for a while, but that was... You know there's something round the corner when that happens. So that's a little teaser from the Alan Hutton podcast. If you've not seen it, go and watch it. If you have watched it, thank you for tuning in. It seems to have gone down really, really well. I chose that clip specifically because it's such a, a contrast from where we are at the moment. Paul Lambert going away to Pep Guardiola's Bayern Munich to try and play out from the back in 2013, 2014, and whether it was failing miserably that, like Alan said, we just passed teams to death and not even yeah. go over the halfway line. You yeah. know, he comes in and gets us playing that style of football 10 years later within about a week, and you go, oh, that's a proper coach. Uh, so yeah, that, that podcast is still available. Uh, it's on the Client Blue YouTube channel. If you're not listening to this, if you're not watching this on the YouTube channel already, go over and find that. It's, it's definitely worth, I think that's an hour and 20 minutes or something. It's really, really good. Um, predicted 11 we've done that so it's on to predictions to end the show um, John 
you know every time we do one of these shows now i kind of i've said a few times that i back villa to beat absolutely anybody at the moment so i can't kind of stray away from that the day before a pretty big game away at brentford so i'll start mine off straight away by just going yes villa will win 2-1 away from home ollie watkins to score both i was, I was gonna say the europe yeah. um i'm with you to be fair usually or at least in recent weeks i've been a bit pessimistic about my villa predictions but i've i'm with you I've, you get the feeling especially because of brentford's say form I don't, I don't again i don't think the performances have been that bad um at all and they are still going to be a tough nut to crack but they haven't won in five quite a few losses in that time as well so and with our form and where we're trying to go they're not really in the european picture anymore they're trying to get top 10 which they probably will um but they'll be fearing us, even though they're decent at home. Two tough games that they've had recently, Newcastle and us. I knew they played. Who did they play last week? Uh, they lost to Wolves, they lost to Newcastle, they lost to Man United, they drew with Brighton and they drew with Leicester. So three tough games out of five. Yeah. The Four Wolves tough won. games out of six, if you include us, I guess. Wolves one's a bad one, really, isn't it? They don't, mm. Wolves aren't great. I mean, they're a good team, don't get me wrong, but they don't score many goals. That's probably why they lost. No, it's 2 nil actually, in the end. Um, mm. I'll say 3-1 Villa. Okay. Yeah, 3-1 Villa. Nice which will be, will we, and if we, do, if, we do, if we do concede, that'll be the third goal we concede in nine games, I think. Yeah, mad, isn't it? Um, I don't know how many clean sheets we've had in that time. Maybe uh, seven, six, six, I think. Eight. So, mm. we can get seven in nine. <laughs> wow. I mean, yeah, the turnaround's been mental. But um, <laughs> I, I think we'll win. So, hopefully, anyway. It's nice to be positive and predict a win with kind of gusto and confidence to go, yeah, we'll win. And not to kind of, when we started the season, we were doing match pre- previews every single week and we were tracking predictions as we went and we were going like, this is what we predict. This is what actually happens. We'll do like a scoring system and work out who between us is the best at predicting Aston Villa games. Then we stopped doing the previews pretty much and that kind of fell away. But at the start of the season, you just go, oh yeah, a Villa win because I'm a Villa fan. I want to say they'll win, but none of us believe it because we were yeah. so badly under Steven Gerrard. But yeah, Villa will win because, yeah, I have to say it. Whereas now it's like, no, Villa will win because they're a proper good football side and Emery's given us all this confidence to go, we can beat anybody. So yeah, it's lovely to come on a show like this and just say, yes, Villa will win and, and believe that kind of hand on heart that it's not just our current blue spectacles going, mm, yeah, I quite fancy us. I genuinely fancy us against anybody. So... 2-1, I think I said. You said 3-1. A couple of comments saying 2-0, Steve and Andy. So, um, no more settling for a draw. 2-0, clean sheet. Clean sheet will be great. Massive. Another couple of goals would be great. But as we've said a few times, style over substance. As long as we win, not really bothered how it comes. We'll be back for the post-match show tomorrow. Uh, tomorrow evening, it's a 3 o'clock kickoff. So look for us around 6pm maybe. You're at the game covering it in, in place of Ash. So it won't be you on the show because... We tend to do that if it's an away game, we let the reporter do the job that you've gone there to do. So you'll be speaking to Emery after the game and jumping on a podcast at full time to speak to me when you've got more important things to do. It just doesn't work. So it might be Neil from the For, Love, for the Love of Paul McGrath podcast. So me and Neil might do a half an hour chat after the game tomorrow and then we'll be back next week with some more uh, content as always. Thank you very much for tuning in to this match preview show. Uh, it's been a pleasure John thanks for joining me as ever where's the outro button there we go bye bye thank you for listening to Claret and Blue and Aston Villa podcast if you enjoyed today's episode then please do let us know we love hearing your thoughts and comments we'll be back soon with another episode but until then up the villa <laughs> <laughs>